Welcome back, Couch Potato Radio. Derek Hansen with you on the Mighty 790 KFGO. We're going to have a state senator from the great state of Minnesota and a practicing physician, family physician in Chaska, Scott Jensen, with us in just a bit to talk about, you know, kind of what he went through being investigated, and wrongfully so, and they dropped everything, about something that he brought up. And I'm going to play you this little clip from the House hearing, the U.S. House hearing last week. And uh, Representative Blaine Lukemeyer from Missouri got uh, five minutes, and he right in front of him was CDC Director Robert Redfield. And I, I bring this up because I've talked about this quite a bit, and you know, there's so much data and numbers that are thrown out there, and we, we talk about the the uh, deaths in this country from the tragedy and the pandemic that is COVID-19 in America and what's going on worldwide with it quite a bit. But I think what I do want to uncover here again, and Dr. Jensen did this as well, just talking about insurance coding, because so much of what we're doing right now is talking about numbers when it comes to insurance coding. And I can't stress this enough. I mean, I don't have the absolutes in this, but one thing that I think that's really interesting that when we talk about politics, the political part of medicine is really, really involved here. I, I just have never seen anything like it. We've seen this type of debate before, but is really on steroids, for the lack of a better term, when it comes to what medicine's going to work for COVID-19, what isn't, the vaccine, how quickly we're going to get it, how effective and safe will it be. But I do think when we talk about the actual, and I'm going to bring this up with Dr. Jensen, I do think we need to talk about estimated deaths much more than talking about absolutes, because most of what you see in both the John Hopkins and also the CDC website is talking about deaths related to COVID. And that's fine, because much of that has to do with insurance coding. But here is Representative Lukemeyer talking about this with uh, last week with CDC Director Robert Redfield. I wish that uh, Admiral... um Guar was here yet. I asked this question of him last time he was here, and he, we didn't have enough time to, to, continue, to continue our discussion on it with, with regards to the sort of perverse incentive for the medical folks to claim that somebody died of COVID versus if it's an automobile accident, for instance, as long as you have COVID in your system, you get to claim it as a COVID death, in which means you get to get more money uh, as the attending physician, hospital, whatever. Uh, and he acknowledged that the, that the statistics he's getting from the states are over in, over inflated. Uh, we found that the governor of Colorado, who is uh, who is a Democrat, actually did a research on this and found he had to get rid of 12 percent of the deaths that were recorded in state. Uh, Dr. Redfield, would you like to comment on that a little bit about the, the perverse incentive? And is there an effort to try and do something different in a way that these deaths are recorded so we actually have better records and better better numbers, better data to go with? Thank you, Congressman. I think you're correct in that we've seen this in other disease processes, too, early in the HIV epidemic. Somebody may have a heart attack but also have HIV. The hospital would prefer the DRG for HIV because there's greater reimbursement. So I do think there's some reality to that. When it comes to death reporting, though, I mean, ultimately, it's how the physician defines it in the death certificate in our, our national health statistics uh, group here in Hyattsville, we review, review all those death certificates. Um, so I think it's probably less operable in the cause of death, although uh, I, I won't say it's there are not some cases. I do think, though, uh, when it comes to hospital reimbursement issues for individuals that get discharged, there, there could be some play in that for sure. Well, the Admiral certainly acknowledged that last time he was here, so I, I think that's 
uh, very concerning. And again, that was CDC Director Robert Redfield being asked questions by Representative Lukemeyer on this whole thing. And it, it's and I find this quite interesting as we uh, get our next guest here ready on Couch Potato Radio, Derek Hansen with you. And because uh, this is really kind of uh, something I've been talking about a lot. And man, people get mad at me about this because when I do talk to people about this, whether it be Facebook or whatever, I think when it comes to deaths, it, it is one of these things where there could be more than we know, and there could be less. We just don't really know, and I think we're trying to live in absolutes. But uh, with that, we do have a state senator from Minnesota, Scott Jensen, with us. Dr. Jensen, he is a family uh, physician from the Chaska area. And uh, Dr. Jensen, first of all, thanks so much for being with us here on KFGO. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, let's just kind of go through things. I, I just played back uh, what CDC Director uh, Redfield, Dr. Redfield, said. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's essentially what you said that got you in hot water and investigated, right? Yes, it did. And I remember at the time the number of physicians that lashed out at me for discrediting the medical profession. And I remember being puzzled, thinking, since when did the medical profession rely on not disclosing the truth in a transparent fashion? The fact of the matter is there are financial incentives in the world of healthcare that sometimes get in the way of us being totally focused on our patients. And in that regard, I think we need to be on the alert for this. And when the Department of Health decided to jump into the fray, I spoke up and said, hey, this isn't what we've been doing for 35 years, doing death certificates. So don't coach and massage us to casually use COVID-19. And then when people ask me, why would they do that? I don't have the answer. I can't speak to someone else's motivations, but I can certainly send out the alarm that there are some perverse incentives being created financially. And so to have Robert Redfield the other day come out and say exactly what I've been saying was extremely vindicating. Well, I'm guessing so. And here's the thing is like, I know enough. I know enough insurance people. I follow the politics of it being a, a talk show host, obviously, when it comes to Medicaid and Medicare. And I mean, I go into you and I may disagree on some of these things. I think, you know, if we can expand Medicaid, Medicare and then but, but more than anything, because I think what you did is pull back the curtain on coding insurance wise for Medicaid and Medicare. Right. This is nothing new, because if you've had anyone, unfortunately, who's passed away in your lifetime, there's just there's a whole bunch of things listed on the death certificate. And then there's reimbursement on this, and I've always said to make Medicaid and Medicare more sustainable, I think we have to start rewarding outcomes more than rewarding symptoms. Does that make sense? You're absolutely right. Our system does at times reward churning. I mean, I wanted to put a bill forward that said that if a certain amount of dollars are paid for a CAT scan, and the radiologist says, well, the CAT scan looks okay, but just to be safe, we better do another one in three months. We have a whole protocol called the Fleischmann protocol when someone has a spot on their lung. And I said, okay, well, the first CAT scan will be the standard fee, but the second one will pay 50% of that. And the third one will pay 25% of that. Because when a radiologist says we need to have 
three more CAT scans done over the next 18 months, who's going to argue with that? Because you're petrified that you got this thing in your lung that could conceivably be cancer. And so if the radiologist says, we need a CAT scan at three, six, and 12 months, you're going to say, okay, tell me where. And that's called in the corporate world recurring income. And we have a lot of these kinds of things. And the only way we're going to solve some of these problems is to have honest discussions about this. And if what I just told you irritates all the radiologists of the world, then we're not having honest discussions. State Senator Scott Jensen with us, uh, Dr. Jensen, who is, you know, certainly has made some news over the past couple of months. Do you think it hurt? I mean, as far as being uh, you and Chris Berg here is locally, I, I know him a little bit just through Facebook stuff, or whatever, that, you know, he's obviously political. Do you think the politics maybe and being in the pandemic thing maybe kind of try to discredit because it is so political? Did that bother you at all? Or? Well, it did bother me in the sense that I knew nothing of it. I I didn't know anything about the pandemic until someone sent it to me and said, you should watch this. You're in it. And then there were other things where pieces or clips of what Chris Berg and I discussed, all of a sudden they were popping up in websites that I'd never heard of. I, I was criticized because a guy named Jones on Information Wars or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know him. I don't, I've never been on that website. I, I'm sort of naive that way. Then there was another one, Cunin, evidently uses it. And frankly, I don't know how you control this kind of thing on social media. I just try to say it the way I see it, and I just can't get mired down in those weeds because I don't know how to stop it. Let me ask you this. You were with the uh, frontline doctors last week, and obviously that's become very political. Uh, do you regret that at all? Because, I mean, th- so many things are spun. You had Dr. Emanuel, and then, of course, there's memes out there discrediting her. And I don't know much about her, but I think the problem is, and I, I think you would agree with this, practicing medicine has been maybe a battle with a lot of people, you know, a lot of physicians throughout the country for quite some time. And so if you're with a group of people, you may get lumped in for certain things or whatever. But I think what you're trying to do is just to – you know, kind of explain the way you practice medicine. But, you know, if you get in a group of people like that, unfortunately, it can be spun in so many different ways in this political, you know, inflamed era that we're in right now. You make an excellent point. When Dr. Simone Gold reached out to me and said, a lot of what's happening to you has impact on what we're trying to do. We're trying simply to be able to speak our mind, speak our voice, without fear of potentially having our license in danger. And when I was asked if I could join them in D.C., I just couldn't adjust my schedule. And so I participated by Zoom in a couple of, in a press conference, and I think that part of that press conference was a 12-minute conversation with Dr. Gold and I. And I think that was seen some five, six million times. But... I was, in a way, painted with the same brush that the others were painted with, and their perspective might have been stronger on hydroxychloroquine than mine, but my perspective was medical doctors should be able to speak their mind, and why would we change the way we've done things for COVID-19? Meaning, in the past, if I wanted to prescribe something off-label, if I wanted to use Flomax, not to shrink a man's 
instead to help a man pass a kidney stone, which has not been indicated for by the FDA, I would go ahead and do that because Flomax has been demonstrated to be a safe drug and it's been approved for something. In the same way, if I want to use hydroxychloroquine for one of my patients going to a country where there's malaria, I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's you kind of broke up there, but I think it's interesting because my significant other has rheumatoid arthritis. And so as we are sitting there and like I said, I think you got the sense for me that I'm probably not going to be voting for President Trump. But because President Trump, you know, touted hydroxychloroquine and all of a sudden became the worst, most dangerous drug ever. And she looked at me and said, well, I've been on it since I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I guess that's <laughs> And I think because it's so political, here's a drug that's been around since the 1950s. And, you know, doctors are going to. I have no earthly idea whether or not this works or not, but the other thing is, too, I think you'd agree, Dr. Jensen, is that you know what may work for one person may not work for another. And I'm not just talking about COVID-19. I'm just talking about practicing medicine in general, correct? Absolutely, and a lot of times the timing matters. If you give some drugs early on in the course of disease, it may be very effective. If you give it later on, it may not be effective at all. Last night I received a query from a constituent saying, would you or can you prescribe hydroxychloroquine? I said, well, yeah, I can. And I double-checked and called the pharmacist. If you got a prescription from me for patient John Doe for hydroxychloroquine for two weeks, would you fill it? And the pharmacist said, I'm not sure. That would be a precedent. And, you know, it's really not been blessed in our state. And we've seen a paradigm shift in terms of what patients and physicians can together decide what to do in terms of a plan for disease. And now there's another, there's another piece involved, and that is that even if the patient and I say, okay, they really want to try hydroxychloroquine, and I say, you know, I think it's safe enough. You're not on any other medications. You don't have any kidney problems. You don't have any visual problems. We'll go ahead and do it. Now I, I can't necessarily get the prescription filled. So I think that's what that frontline doctors group is saying is, you know, you are absolutely messing things up when you – send out these communications, whether they be from the, the FDA or from wherever. And I think that's the, the best and highest value of what the frontline doctors were able to do was to blow open the doors of transparency and let people know that our world is changing dramatically. And if we're not engaging and paying attention, we're going to miss it. But this is not America. And this is not the way... Patients receive health care. Patients are supposed to be the critical piece championing their own health care. But they're being told now, well, you might not be able to find a doctor that's going to give it to you. And if you do, you might not be able to find a pharmacist that's going to give it to you. And if you do, it might be that the pharmacist is going to get in trouble with the pharmacy board if they do. And it's just become extremely convoluted. Uh, my final thing for you, you know, and kind of going back to uh, what we talked about with the insurance part of it, too, do you think this... Uh you know, when it comes down to some of the numbers that we hear, I think the latest 156,000 people in this country now passing away with, you know, involving COVID-19. And as we talk about insurance coding, do you think if we just put the word in there, estimated, it would make it a little bit easier to deal with? You know, because when you're talking about insurance coding, isn't that the correct word when we talk about that? It it doesn't lessen the severity of COVID-19 by any means, but I think when we're trying to live in absolutes, it's not very fair, and then that's part of the reason it becomes so political. To your point, 
Commissioner Malcolm in the Minnesota Department of Health has indicated that they're not going to count COVID-19 deaths unless there's a laboratory confirmation test, and the other ones have an asterisk by it. What we might be picking up there, though, is just because we have a positive laboratory test doesn't necessarily mean it was a COVID-19 death. If a person gets hit by a bus and they've got a COVID-19 test, obviously it's a bus accident that killed them. So I think to use the word estimated could be helpful, but I think where we really went wrong was by coaching physicians and death certificate certifiers to become more casual and allow more ambiguity. In the past, the completion of a death certificate always demanded, if, if you, under, you know, to be certain, the highest level of thinking that we could bring to the table in terms of trying to establish a sequence of causation from the initiating event to the final cause or to the, to the immediate cause of death. And I think that when we got this ambiguity introduced into it, frankly, that's really where we started to fall off uh, the grid because now we do have this question as to how many of those really were COVID-19 deaths, how many of those people would have died within days, weeks, or months of congestive heart failure, heart attack, stroke, cancer, those kinds of things. And now we've, we've fractured the public trust. Yeah, I think the question always goes, could it be more or less? And I don't think we really know. That's what I've always said on this, too. Minnesota State Senator Scott Jensen with us. Uh, Dr. Jensen, a family physician here on Couch Potato Radio. Derek Hansen with you. Uh, I guess I lied. Final thing for you. It's to- so much talk about a vaccine, you know, at warp speed, as we've talked about so many times. And you you practice medicine much the way my doctor does. And, you know, I'm overweight. I don't eat right, like he says. But talking about vitamins A, you know, and uh, D and C and, and all these different things, it, it certainly is something we talk about. What's your take on vaccines? I know... To get to herd immunity, that's a good, you know, way to do it. I am a little concerned about Rush one because I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Guillain-Barré syndrome. I mean, that's something that's been with vaccines certainly of the respiratory type for quite some time. What's your take on the way that we're kind of going about this in America right now, really throughout the world, when we talk about this? I think we're in danger of pinning all our hopes on the possibility of achieving something that we all want. A vaccine is a powerful tool. My children are fully vaccinated, and yet I've always been a strong advocate that people should get to choose and that parents choose for their children. But I think if you look at our track record of being able to come up with effective, safe vaccines for respiratory viruses, I'm not talking about polio. I'm talking about respiratory viruses, influenza every year, SARS, MERS, these kinds of things. It isn't that good, and it certainly isn't that good in a warp speed process. So I think we can continue to hope for a vaccine, but it is that. It is a hope. And I think that for me, as a in-the-trenches physician for 35 years, I'm powerfully impressed with the fact that herd immunity is generally the way that we build up a societal response to something introduced into our society. My wife is a veterinarian, and the veterinarians don't argue and politically quibble about herd immunity. They know that it's an absolute fact of life, and that when you hit a certain level, your herd of cattle or whatever you're talking about, people, whatever, will be protected because there won't be an opportunity for a 
a vector, if you will, to transmit that disease back into the herd. So you can have 70% of your cattle immunized or have achieved herd immunity through having the disease, and the other 30% will be protected. We need to understand that herd immunity is a key pivotal issue, and it isn't going to be supplanted by the possibility that a vaccine might be discovered and arrived at. We cannot bank on that. And in that way, I say we should not have as a goal to squash the number of COVID-19 cases down to zero. That was never a part of the plan. That was never a part of the goalpost. That was never a part of the rationale for lockdowns and all the other draconian measures that have been taken. The idea was to depress the peak, delay the surge, allow healthcare facilities to build up their capacity and their PPE supplies so that we can manage things. And we have done that. So when we start hearing about another round of lockdowns, what are we thinking about? This is crazy. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think you be being safe and social distancing, whatever you're going to do. I think one of the biggest problems is with herd immunity is it, it may, with some people who are healthy, it may not spread to them as quickly as we thought, right? I mean, I think that is one thing that is, as much as cases are going up, as far as the testing is concerned, and I have my questions about some of the tests that are out there, but that is one thing that we're kind of seeing is that, you know, for a lot of people, they're around people that were, you know, that had COVID that really are not catching it either because they're probably healthy. Well, I think it's more than they're probably healthy. I think it may be that they have an immunity uh, already in place that we haven't detected. Yeah. I mean, let's just take the Diamond Princess. You've got thousands of people living in close quarters for a week or two, and they breathe the same air and do the same things, and 17% get the disease and 83% don't. Why is that? I mean, could it be that there was more infectious activity than went on that we didn't pick up, but it didn't demonstrate itself with antibodies, but instead demonstrated itself with cellular immunity through T lymphocytes that we didn't have the ability to pick up? Could it be that intrinsic to their own DNA, they might be disease resistant, just like 90% of the population is probably disease resistant to leprosy, meaning that if we wanted to get leprosy, we could spread it on our Cheerios in the morning. We probably still couldn't get it. There is a thing called disease resistance, and we haven't really considered that as a part of the equation. I think when we look at all these things, there's so much we don't know that sometimes I think we find ourselves speaking with authority when, frankly, we should be simply saying, what are the questions we have to ask and pay attention to? Because that's where ultimately the answers are going to come. Sometimes we just jump in and we act with a certain level of arrogance, like we know more than we do. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point, because on one side, uh, you, many people want to say, well, they're learning something new about this disease every day. Well, that has to fall in every category, and I think that's to, to what you're saying there, Dr. Jensen. I, I kept you way too long, much more than what I asked for. I really do appreciate your time. I know you're really busy. Good luck to you, and uh, maybe someday we'll talk about you know trying to get budgets done and everything in the state of Minnesota. But I do thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again very soon. Sounds good. Thank you much. State Senator Scott Jensen from Chaska and a doctor, a family practice doctor. You know, I'm going to get some hate for this because, you know, I think this has become so political. I think for people who have followed me politically for I don't know how many years, I mean, I'm I'm very much a moderate in many cases. I've probably been leaning a little bit more to the Democratic side going back to 2003. But I really believe what's going on here and following 
how medicine can be so political. You know, going back to what we had with the insurance stuff, with talking about Obamacare, whatever, it, we're seeing a whole different level with this thing. I can't say this enough. I really take COVID-19 seriously. I am an overweight 47-year-old person that has had, you know, in the past respiratory problems with sinus infections, bronchitis, and whatever. And I've had problems with a lot of these type of things. But I do think what Dr. Jensen did was pull back the curtain a little bit on how some of these insurance claims are handled and the coding with it and how we're getting some of these numbers out there because there's so much data and numbers out there that it kind of skews everything. And I think he's unfairly criticized for that when you had, as I said, CDC Director Robert Redfield say the exact same thing last week in front of a House committee. And it's just how we are doing things. It's how we're paying stuff. I've said for, I don't know if Dr. Jensen would agree with me on this, but at some point I'd like to see us work so we, this public-private partnership that we have with Medicare and Medicaid can be expanded or whatever to get more accessible. It'd be, I think it would be a good you know, replacement for Obamacare. Even President Obama once said that because it's a system that works for the actual consumer. What we have to do is make it more efficient for our government so it's not a big drain on our system. And, and that's what it comes down. You know, that's really something that Bernie Sanders always said. Now, he didn't really, you know, kind of get into the details of it because he's running for a campaign when you talk about Medicare for all. But if you start at Medicare 50, and this is something I've actually talked about with Congressman Colin Peterson, who I don't think anyone look at as a socialist, but that's one thing that could really help out this country if we kind of get to that point and make it more sustainable, still have supplemental insurance because we don't want to just all of a sudden shut off the private insurance business. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of jobs in this country when it comes to that. And the administration costs, why is it so low for Medicare? It's because, well, private insurance handles a lot of that stuff. So I mean, I think medicine now and practicing medicine is so political as we've seen. and, And with my uh, conversation there with uh, State Senator Jensen. It it's really kind of shows you a little bit of where we're at and how we need to take the politics out of it and talk about real solutions when it comes to this and not look at everything with one broad brush. As he mentioned, and I have no earthly idea whether or not hydrochloroquine works or not for coronavirus, but you know the, the way that doctors practice medicine has been, you know, People, I've had doctors within the same clinic argue about stuff and treat me differently for different things over the past 30 or so years. And that's what's going on here. But now it's so politically charged that we're talking about what drug works, what drug doesn't trust that doctor, not that doctor. And that's a dangerous road to go down. It, It really is. So we can chat about that if you want. This is Couch Potato Radio. Derek Hansen with you on the Mighty 790 KFGO, 237-5948, 1-800-880-5346. You can text us 35270 on the 702 Communications text line. This is the Mighty 790 KFGO.